Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Evangelism is a team sport. You know, too often when we talk about evangelism today in conversations at church and in uh, trainings and all the ways that we think about evangelism, we're so often thinking about personal evangelism in the sense of just like me and somebody else doing one-on-one stuff. And that's great and that's helpful. But today we're going to look at how evangelism is actually done well in community. All right, everyone, welcome to this episode of The Scent Life. We are so glad that you are tuning in with us today. Uh, I want to take just an opportunity and tell you that things are going to be a little different today. If you'll notice, I'm kicking us off today instead of Scott. Well, that's because Scott's actually not in the chair next to me right now. It's empty. Uh, Scott was unable to, to join us today for our recording, but in Scott's place, we're actually bringing somebody that's sitting in here with us every week, but you guys just don't get a chance to hear from him. So Tate Griffiths is our podcast engineer. He works in the Center for Great Commission Studies with me uh, here at the school. And today, I'm actually going to be interviewing Tate to talk about evangelism being a team sport. Uh, Tate, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody for us? Yeah, absolutely. So hey, everyone. Uh, My name is Tate Griffiths. So I am a current MDiv student here at Southeastern, currently my fourth semester. So I have a couple more semesters to go, so I'll be here for a good little while longer, Lord willing. Currently working on my MDiv in Christian ministry. Um, So I'm originally from Arlington, Texas. I was born and raised there and did my undergrad in biblical studies at Dallas Baptist University. Uh, So I moved out here in August of 2021, um, and the Lord has been super kind in theological training and placing me in a very faithful and God-fearing church um, that is filled with uh, just faithful, faithful believers who desire to equip and train specifically seminarians as well. Um, So it's been a really sweet season, Keelan. Yeah, that's excellent. So you brought up that you were from Arlington. Correct. So here's what I want us to do today. The reason we've got Tate on the show, so if you guys follow Southeastern's uh, kind of our news articles and some of the things that the school puts out, we very recently ran an article that was really a feature story that had Tate as one of the central figures in the story. Uh, in case you want to look it up, you can find it. It's called A Discipling Community, Spiritual Formation from the Church to the Classroom. And you'll find that on Southeastern's website. Uh, but that article talks a bit about how Tate got here in the first place. Mm. And I promise there's a segue coming here. Tate, talk to me just a bit about what that article unfolds for you and your, your buddies. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in this article, you hear kind of an analysis or a breakdown of the relationship between me and two other guys. So me, Dalton Kaiser, and Justin Myers. So Dalton and Justin are also both currently students here at Southeastern and living in Wake Forest with their wives and children. But we actually got to know each other while we were, while we were all in college. Uh, we were all at the same local church. Uh, we were all working on similar degrees. And from that, we got to get to know each other. And so this article is really focusing on how our relationship and community building has impacted our level of discipleship and eventually our outreach to the people around us. And so throughout that uh, article, you can go in and see um, we're asked questions such as, how have we known each other? How has it impacted us? And ultimately, how has the local church influenced our relationship, but also our outreach? Yeah, so as we, as we dig into the article, 
Um, walk us a bit through the timeline for you guys. I don't want to just rehash the article necessarily, but for those that haven't sure. read it, it'd be a help. So you three met in college. Correct. Uh, what happened after that? Yeah, so we're all kind of at different age ranges. So whenever I was a freshman at Dallas Baptist University, um, Justin was a senior and Dalton was already transitioning out. I believe he had already graduated at that point. But um, that was kind of our binding factor yeah. uh, as we met each other at the church. So we were both all members at First Baptist Church of Irving, okay. Irving, Texas. Um, so Irving is one of the most diverse zip codes in the country. Um up there with many others, particularly Clarkston, where you're yeah. going to be leading a mission trip soon. That's right. We've got a trip coming up there. And so that would be super sweet. And so I'm really excited to hear about all that. But being in a local church surrounded by such a diverse area, um, we focus really heavily on aspects of intentional discipleship amongst one another, but also amongst the lost. And so I think cultivating that relationship within the church with these guys in particular, they're both incredibly wise for their years. And with me not having grown up in the church, they were definitely people that I looked up to very quickly. Um, and so very tenderhearted, but also v- hold very fast to the Word of God. So so what we've got here then, we've got a story. Uh, guys, they're coming from different places. They land at college in the same yeah. area. But more importantly, they land at church together. Yeah. And as you guys joined together in church, you developed a relationship as people mm-hmm. who were church members together, co-laborers in the faith. Mm-hmm. And you entered into a discipleship relationship with one another. Yeah. Uh, in doing so, uh, and this is where the article kind of unpacks. So they, mm-hmm. that relationship has since carried them from there in Texas all the way over here to Southeastern as well. And uh, the relationship continues for them here. You guys, as far as church, you're... We're all at the same church still, exactly. You guys all landed at the same church that's here, right? right? Yes, sir. Uh, so the relationship, this discipleship relationship has continued. It's a, it's a really neat story. You need to read it. But I wanted you to have just a bit, uh, for the listeners, I wanted you to have just a bit of context here because there's a turn in the article uh, that's the reason we really wanted to, to dig into this conversation with Tate today uh, in the middle of it, Dalton, so one of the other guys in the uh, in the story, he says this. He said, we had opportunities to regularly evangelize together hmm. and navigate cross-cultural barriers with the gospel. Our outreach groups would engage the local community college and the harvest fields of mission and evangelism were always on our minds. Hmm. It was a blessing to have these opportunities together. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a great line from Dalton, by the way. Mm-hmm. So what I want you to do is unpack that idea for us a bit. Yeah. So you guys, it says here you regularly evangelized together mm-hmm. and you would do a, a good bit of cross-cultural work. You brought up how diverse the area was. Right. Can you give us a bit of a picture of what that looked like? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, to your first point, there was our church tried to make an, a regular effort, specifically with our college ministry and our college students, to go out to local community colleges. Okay. Um, so Mountain View Community College was one of the major partners that we had. Really, the main desire for that was to get our college students onto their campus. And so it really helped break down that, that divide of possibly older, older people trying to reach out to college students by getting faithful college students in front of other college students. It's more of a peer relationship. Exactly. Yeah. It makes, it makes those conversations much smoother, much easier. Um, and yeah, it was a really, really sweet opportunity. The thing about Texas is we're right in the heart of the Bible belt. Yeah. And so, um, Regardless of the various cultures, whether they are um, first generation um, Americans or whatnot, a lot of people have actually surprisingly heard the gospel or heard of it. 
Sure. To some extent. Right. Right. And so it's really a matter of where is that depth of understanding? Where's that mm-hmm. depth of belief? And so we got to have a lot of really cool conversations um, through the starting up of a BSM at those community colleges, okay. um, inviting them to church, inviting them into our homes. Um, and I think that's one thing that First Irving instilled within us very well is a desire to do life with people. Um, but not just to your point earlier, not just do life one-on-one, but do life as a group. Make them feel as though they're welcome as if they're part of a family um, because their family very well may not be as receptive to the gospel as this person may be. And so really utilizing those opportunities is such a sweet, sweet gift. Um, And so with that, um, we are also in an extremely diverse part of the country, that zip code in particular. Um, The Spanish population out there is also incredibly dense. Um, and so it's actually kind of crazy. One of Southeastern's own former students, uh, Moises Gomez, mm-hmm. he's currently the Spanish pastor at First Irving. Pastor Moises has cultivated a very strong Spanish ministry of effectively reaching out to native-born people, again, first-generation Americans, and making them feel as though they are welcome a part of the body, mm. um, which is incredibly, incredibly useful. Um, so... I, in particular, didn't necessarily grow up in the church, hadn't really had a whole lot of exposure to evangelism. So initially, it was very daunting sure. for, me to, for me to do these things. But when I walk alongside guys like Dalton and Justin and many other students from First Doing who are also currently here, not only did it make it a lot more attainable to be mm-hmm. doing it with a group of people, but it also encouraged me and convicted me to take part in it more often. That's a really good word, Tate. So one of the things that I hope you guys are hearing is Tate's kind of telling his story here. So you've got with Tate um, someone who didn't have a church background, right? And so moving from outside the church to inside the church, accepting the gospel, crossing over that line of faith, and then in your first steps of discipleship, there's this this idea that being able to share the gospel with others, that's a daunting task is what you just called it, Tate. And I think that's exactly right. However, there's a some beauty in thinking of mm. evangelism. Yes, it's personal evangelism. We talk all the time about personal evangelism, but mm. not forgetting the fact that evangelism is in fact and can in fact be a mm. team sport. The church is called to be mm. involved in it uh, as a community of faith that is engaging mm. together in the proclamation of the gospel to others. And in doing so, it makes on-ramps to being able to do it well, to proficiency, to some of those kind of things more attainable yeah. for somebody that was in your, your shoes mm. if they get to do it with and alongside someone else who's further down that road. And so thinking about evangelism as a team sport mm. it gives us an opportunity to involve those who may feel like they're, mm. they're ill-equipped to do so in the beginning. Right. And I think that's to that exact same point. I think there is a very strong connection and relationship between having a well-rooted structure of healthy discipleship within a church Mm. and how it directly correlates to your external evangelism. No doubt. And so I think First Irving did an exceptional job of equipping people to love the Word of God, but also to love the body. Mm. It's one of the most communal and faithful church bodies I've ever been a part of. It's just incredibly sweet, but also their desire to do multi-generational discipleship mm. is incredibly helpful for guys like me who yeah. didn't necessarily grow yeah. up in the church. I can I have access to men and women who have spent decades studying the Word of God as an outpouring of what it's like to faithfully evangelize the lost. Yeah. Um, and so walking alongside men and women like that, and then also Dalton and Justin who have had exposure to this area longer than I had, 
it made it a lot more attainable. And to your point earlier, it's a lot less daunting to do it with such profoundly and well-rooted people who desire to know the Word of God better and desire to make His name known. Yeah, so we often talk in mission circles. Uh, we'll use an acronym, yeah. MAL. Right? Yes. And we, we may have, yeah. in fact, talked about it in here before. I believe so, yeah. Uh, I think we've discussed it, right? This is, in my estimation, a really good example of that, right? So the acronym M-A-W-L, it's Model, Assist, Watch, and Leave. Now that leave, mm. we're going to want to define that as more of a partner than, like, deuces, we're gone. Um, but model, assist, and watch, mm-hmm. and then allow somebody else to do it, right? So you model it for somebody. Mm-hmm. You assist alongside of them as they're doing it, and then you watch them do it. Yeah. There's a discipleship principle at play there that sounds really simple, but it's profound when you create opportunities and environments. And, of course, outreach and evangelism uh, is is one of the things where this is a, a thing that we can do. And creating opportunities as a church to think about how, how people are doing evangelism together mm-hmm. and allowing that kind of discipleship chain to occur where You've got people that are seasoned in this work who are modeling for others, assisting them to do it themselves, and mm-hmm. then sitting back and watching them take leadership in it mm-hmm. uh, creates a, uh, a pathway for people towards spiritual maturity. Yeah. Uh, and evangelism is no different in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think very frequently when it comes to evangelism, we do tend to get up in a congregation, we tell everybody, now you should be evangelizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we may go a step further than that and say, hey, on you know Tuesday night, we're going to have a training. So everybody mm-hmm. come to the church and we're going to teach you how to use this tool. Uh, And that may be a step further than just getting up and telling everybody to do it. But at the end of the day, if we're not careful, all we've done is given everybody a tool and sent them out to just evangelize on their own. Mm -hmm. And again, everybody should be evangelizing. Mm -hmm. But if we as a church can think through intentional ways to use the relationships in the church Mm -hmm. to do the work of gospel proclamation alongside other people, then it creates a number of benefits for us. Uh, one of which being easier barrier of entry, people who don't mm-hmm. know how become familiar with it. There's other things. You brought this up a second ago, Tate, and I really want to highlight this idea. Uh, when you've got multiple families mm-hmm. uh, or multiple individuals in the church who are working together uh, as a group to engage lost people in the area, uh, then you now have a combined set of strengths and a mm-hmm. combined set of interests, a combined set of hobbies even. Yeah. And so as you're working with people, you're much more likely for somebody to be able to create a genuine connection with the individuals that you're working with, whether mm-hmm. it's over those hobbies or it's over skills or even specific needs that uh, a particular family or a particular member of that group might be able to meet. Mm-hmm. And so your touch points, your, your hooks to be able to develop relationships and things, they multiply right. uh, when it's not just one individual doing it, but mm-hmm. it's a whole group of people who are doing it. Mm-hmm. And you get to start bearing the weight of continued relationship with those individuals, uh, not just by a single person, but mm-hmm. now by everybody. Yeah. So there's an important, I think, multiplier that happens there. Now, you talk about a number of um, uh, different kind of practical programs and things that the church was doing. Sure. Uh, hit me with some of the... Maybe some of the discipleship benefits that you really feel mm. like you gained personally uh, from having an atmosphere where evangelism was seen as a, a group activity. Yeah, absolutely. And so three things very quickly come to mind. First of all, these guys and these faithful men and women at First Irving, but also at Christ Covenant, the church that I'm at now, yeah. and the many people I'm surrounded with here, the very first thing that I think of is these men and women set such a faithful example of biblical discipline. Mm. 
Okay. Um, not only discipline and outreach and hospitality, but discipline and prayer. I think I'm very quick and many people are also very quick to forget the magnitude and impact of prayer that plays a role in evangelism. Yeah, that's a good word. Um, I think the Lord is very faithful to open up opportunities if you ask him. The Lord is very faithful to humble your heart if you ask him. Um, and so it's it's just so encouraging because I look at passages like in Colossians 1 where Paul is saying that he's not ceased to pray for you and to mm. pray for the church in Colossae. Yeah. And with men like Dalton and Justin and the many others who were here in, at First Irving, I know I have so many advocates in prayer who are not only praying over my theological training, but praying for my ministry afterwards, my ministry yeah. while I'm here. Right. Um, they're desiring to see the Lord work through me solely for his glory. And that is such a testament, A, of their faithfulness, but B, also of just the Lord's sanctifying work in their own hearts. Um, and I think that that plays a major role within the discipline of evangelism. Yeah. is discipline in prayer and discipline in God's word. And I think these men and women set a really faithful example of that for me. Excellent. The second thing is they offer a lot of practical insight on how, right. how I can effectively reach the All lost. Right. And so, for example, like I said, I didn't necessarily grow up in the church. And mm-hmm. so I had no idea really what to do apart from my initial thing. My initial thought is, do I go door to door and just start sharing the gospel? Which is by no means a bad thing. That is a very effective sure. form of ministry that has been proven. One thing that I have benefited from um, by experiencing it personally, but also just be, seeing it done so well is the concept of hospitality. Okay. It's very something as a single man like myself, and I'm very slow to consider. <laughs> but get it. just being welcomed into the home of two faithful believers, mm-hmm. um, not only see how they steward families, but also in moments where they invite me and a non-believer over. Yeah. Not so that we can bombard them with the gospel, sure. but so that we can af- effectively show them the love of Christ mm-hmm. and show how we have been sanctified and how we have... Um, been internally changed and therefore externally it's revealed um, as it as it says in Colossians 3. Yeah yeah that's that's an exceptional point there the uh, the the idea of gospel hospitality if yeah. you will right that that concept again so if we if we shift our our focus on evangelism more towards seeing it as a group activity that's done by those in the church then we're we're in a spot where it it really starts making gospel hospitality a, a real clear a real mm. obvious thing to be able to lean into. Of course, mm-hmm. any of us can invite people into our home, and we should, right? Mm-hmm. But when we're doing that in community with others, it creates mm-hmm. a, almost a multiplier effect on what's, what we're able to do as far as hospitality is concerned with the lost. I think that's a good point. Right. And so it's forced me to consider how can I leverage this season that I'm currently in? Mm. For example, I, I'm single. And so that offers some freedom and liberties that, does. that it, it may not be as frequently available as if you're married or if as it were, if you were married or had a family. And so it forces a lot of conviction and stirring within my heart is how am I leveraging my time well? Am I leveraging it in selfishness and laziness? Or am I leveraging it to reach the lost around me? Mm. Um, So I'm prayerfully hoping to open up my apartment more often. Ministry through just the making of meals for people is such a sweet thing because people love food. Not only do they love food, but they need it. And so just leveraging smaller opportunities like that um, for the sake of gospel advancement, I think is something that I've picked up um, through faithful men and women at First Irving, Christ Covenant, but also here at Southeastern. Excellent. Um, and the last point that I want to, that it forced me to think of and that I want to consider is they point you towards Christ in the midst of the difficulty of evangelism and the difficulty of ministry. All right. Um, ministry is hard. 
Sure. Like, f- to be frank, and I'm, as you know, having served overseas, having served um, in organizational leadership, ministry can sometimes be difficult and it can be taxing. Um, it can be draining. But to be surrounded by such faithful and encouraging believers such as Dalton, Justin, and the church, they consider it such a joy to suffer for the sake of Christ. Mm. Just as it's talking about in Second Timothy, like consider it a joy to take part in the sufferings because it means that people are recognizing that you're different, it, that you've been internally changed. And that's just the working of the Spirit within us. Um, I'm very quick to think about the sufferings of the disciples in Acts, how they consider a complete and utter joy to face cultural differences, false gospels, um, and they consider it a joy to continue to proclaim faithfully and persevere. And not necessarily saying that each and every conversation is going to be that difficult or that, sure. that taxing, um, but to have that level of humility and recognize mm-hmm. that we are joining with Christ in his sufferings, we're called to be set apart, um, and that we are called to remain faithful and not to compromise our gospel. Um, and so I think that is such a sweet and convicting reminder if, uh, is that in the midst of difficulty, not only is it so crucial to have faithful believers surrounding and comforting you, um, but also that they rejoice in the power of the cross um, and that they recognize that through every conversation, through every act of prayer, through every time in the word, um, and through every form of outreach, the Lord is sovereign, the Lord is faithful. Mm. Um, and it's, it's such a sweet reminder to do life with those people who have such an influence in that way in my life. Yeah, you know, that's exactly right. There's a there's a weight and a burden to ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's certainly true in evangelism as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some pretty heavy stuff that you deal with uh, in evangelism and outreach and as you're trying to engage the lost. And that's uh, it's a messy, sticky ministry often mm-hmm. to, to be able to engage in that kind of stuff and to be able to to bear that burden, to shoulder that burden across many sets of shoulders, right? it makes it an easier burden to bear. Mm-hmm. And so the the benefit that comes from that, I think, is significant in the way that we uh, approach the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thank you, Tate. I really appreciate mm-hmm. you stepping onto this side of the mm-hmm. microphone yeah. for at least one of the episodes now. We'll have to get you back on again for something later. Uh, but I wanted you all to hear uh, how Tate had been impacted Uh, through his church concerning his own development in evangelism and how he has had a paradigm shown to him for doing it with others. Uh, This is my encouragement to you as listeners. Uh, We need to, in local church ministry, consider well how we're instructing people toward evangelism. And if we can cast a vision for the fact that evangelism is, yes, personal, but it's not private. It's Mm -hmm. something that we're doing with and alongside others in the church Uh, It creates a new space and a lane for us to think through uh, new gospel opportunities. It's a a way where we can teach one another to do it better. It's a way where we can support one another in it. Uh, So I would encourage you, if you're in a position to do so, start thinking through ways that your local church could approach evangelism as a team sport. And thanks again for listening today. We're really glad uh, to have an opportunity to share with you all from here at Southeastern uh, and the Mission Center at Southeastern. Uh, If you are enjoying what you're hearing here, we'd love it if you would like the podcast, if you'd share the podcast. You can find us, of course, on all the social media feeds, and you can find the podcast wherever you listen to them. Uh, Let others know what we're doing here. And if you've got any questions for us or comments, you can always reach out to us at cgcs at sebts.edu. We look forward to having you around next time. Thanks and God bless.